around that same time that my mother was um, kind of engaged in some witchcraft stuff and occult stuff, I was sexually assaulted by two men. And at that time, my brain kind of switched and I decided I was a boy. That, you know, somehow kids do really interesting magical thinking when they're confronted with trauma. And so my response to that was, I'm going to kill basically who I am. I'm not going to be that girl who was vulnerable and hurt. I'm going to be a boy. My teacher referred me to the school psychologist. And thankfully, I lived at a time where they didn't affirm trans identity. So, so at no point did the teacher or the school psychologist or my parents or anyone say, oh, you're actually a boy. And I'm incredibly thankful for that. That's one of the reasons that I speak out about this, um, because I feel like if, if I had been a child today, my life would have just been um, profoundly damaged by the transgender ideology. It's ironic when you have parents who'd rather you be a porn star or lesbian or trans or whatever, and it's like a Christian, you know, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing ever. The transgender ideology is actually challenged a lot of especially radical feminist women, especially radical feminist lesbians, because there's they sort of co-opted this narrative of I'm born this way. And and the feminist narrative also, I think, is being challenged somewhat because clearly these women who are concerned about transgender ideology are saying there is something distinctly different between males and females. And we need to protect that difference and we need to cherish that difference. And for the church, though, to recognize we have an unbelievable opportunity mm -hmm. to be nurses and doctors uh, for um, spiritually and emotionally hurting lost people. Yes. And and even those that have done great damage to themselves physically and, and, and under the scalpel in the hand of others. Well, hey, everybody, whether you're tuning in through Love and Truth Network or if your connection is through Transforming Congregations, we're so glad that you're here, whether you're listening, whether you're watching. Uh, we're excited that you're joining us, and I'm excited for you to meet uh, a friend that I made pretty recently. Uh, I'm excited to have Erin here with us and to share with us. She's an author. She's a speaker. Uh, there are many things that she's going to share with you uh, about who she is, and I'm not going to steal her thunder or share her story, but I will say that Erin uh, is someone that I met when I was in D.C., and I had the chance to also uh, meet my friend Ted in DC as well. Uh, those that follow our podcast on a regular basis, you would have heard from him also in one or two of our podcasts. And so Aaron was also at the event that the Changed Group uh, was doing in DC and drawing a number of ministry leaders together there to, uh, to be encouraged by one another, to meet at several family policy uh, councils and groups there, and also to, to do some lobbying on Capitol Hill for counseling choice and for parent... Uh, parental rights and things of that nature. So we're excited for you to be here with us. I'm excited for Erin to be here and to share her story and just for us to be able to, to have some kind of Q&A and discussion back and forth and for you get to get to listen in on that. So Erin, thanks so much for being here and for taking the time out to join us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Gary. It's great to reconnect. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're not, I mean, we're only a state away from each other, which is kind of a cool <laughs> thing too. So maybe uh, uh, our families can uh, can connect in, in person at some point down the road. Yeah, so, that would be great. Yeah. Well, listen, our, our audience is used to uh, all of our guests who join uh, just sharing a little bit about uh, their own story. And, and you have quite an amazing story. <laughs> I, I mean, we all do in different ways, but uh, I, I know that I've only heard pieces and parts of your story. And what that did for me is I'm like, okay, I really want to spend some more time with Erin. I want to get to know, um, you know, what God has done in her life and, and, and where she came from and, and what God's doing now. So I'm going to be listening in in some ways. And, and I know learning some new things too, along with our audience, but love to, for you to share a little bit about what life was like before Jesus, how you met him and, and how things have been different um, after yeah. Well, thank you, Gary. And I, I appreciate this opportunity to share. And I hope that it really does bring encouragement to mm. people. Um, I grew up in a home that was um, hardcore left, hardcore atheist. In fact, my mom was into some occult stuff. So I guess not even atheist, but sort mm. of into uh, witchcraft and and Gaia and um, very hardcore feminism. Um, pretty antithetical to anything Christian, um, anything related to the Bible. And uh, as a child, I, I actually was very scared of Satan. I had this sense of, mm. you know, that Satan had this kind of power and actively made a decision to turn away from, you know, not to believe in anything. I'm not going to believe in God. I'm not going to believe in Satan. That'll keep me safe. I thought that mm. that was uh, the way to sort of avoid having to deal with any of this um, dark energy that I was feeling from my mother. Um, at the same time, around that same time that my mother was um, kind of engaged in some witchcraft stuff and occult stuff, I was sexually assaulted by two men. Um, my brother and I were uh, playing at a playground. These men accosted us, and they they uh, they held a knife to my brother and 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 assaulted me. Mm. And at that time, my brain kind of switched, and I decided I was a boy. That you know somehow kids do really interesting magical thinking when they're yeah. confronted with trauma. And so my response to that was I'm going to kill basically who I am. I'm not going to be that girl who was vulnerable and hurt. I'm going to be a boy. And mm. so I went to school in first grade and started insisting that I was a boy. I was pretty aggressive. I was trying to sort of be the 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 most boy in the classroom, which in my mind meant very aggressive very physical. I was uh, even physically aggressive to teachers. And my teacher referred me to the school psychologist. And thankfully, I lived at a time where they didn't affirm trans identity. So, mm -hmm. so at no point did the teacher or the school psychologist or my parents or anyone say, oh, you're actually a boy. And mm -hmm. I'm incredibly thankful for that. That's yeah. one of the reasons that I speak out about this. Um, because I feel like if, if I had been a child today, my life would have just been um, profoundly damaged by the transgender ideology. Mm. So I got some help um, throughout my childhood. I, I did struggle with what is now called gender dysphoria. I engaged in same-sex relationships as part of that because I was trying to establish myself as a boy. I wanted to have girlfriends. Um, I sort of, when I went through puberty, the, the transgender feelings kind of minimized a little bit. I engaged in just a lot of uh, sexual acting out and uh, even even some prostituting when I was in high school. Uh, all this time, I had no sense of Jesus or God. Mm. I, I had um, 
I could go to Planned Parenthood when I was 14 and get birth control pills, no questions asked. So I grew up thinking Planned Parenthood was a great organization because they prevented me from getting pregnant mm. during this time. Um, I sort of settled down and ended up uh, having some kids and really loved being a mother. Again, another reason why I, I became so vocal about the transgender ideology, because if I had been a child today, I likely would have been put on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, which would have rendered me infertile. Hmm. And being a mother was absolutely one of the most joyful things in my life. Um, when I gave birth to my daughter, it was the first time they really appreciated myself as female. Hmm. And so, um, and I think it was about 2016, 2017, I started speaking out against the transgender ideology. And I think it was 2019, I, w um, I went down and testified at a legislative hearing in Salt Lake City against the conversion therapy bans because I found out about the conversion therapy ban because I had been a donor to Equality Utah, which was the local LGBT activist group. I was, you know, like I said, I volunteered for Planned Parenthood fully supported the local LGBT activists. and But when I read through the letter that was talking about the ban that they were proposing, it sounded to me like they were going to try and ban the therapy that I got as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to contact Equality Utah and couldn't get through to them. I tried on Facebook and they blocked me. I finally went to a public event at the library trying to talk to the director and he had the security guards remove me. <laughs> mm. I thought something's really wrong here. Yes. Um, and the more I started to investigate, the more I realized they really were trying to ban the therapy that helped me when I was a child. Mm. So I went to, to testify and it was, it was very scary disclosing these very personal things about yes. myself, but it had a profound impact. The legislators hadn't heard a story like mine before and they actually changed the legislation. Equality Utah was so upset about the changes that they killed it. <laughs> mm. So um, because of my testimony, I got in touch with um, an organization called the Eagle Forum, which as a child, I had heard about from my mm -hmm. mother as being basically one Horrible. of the most evil organizations <laughs> yep. on this planet. Yep. And so when the president of the Eagle Forum came up to me and asked me if I would speak at one of her events, I, I mean, I was shocked because that was the woman that I remember seeing my mom curse at whenever was she was Was that Phyllis Schlafly? <laughs> it was um, Gail Rizuka. So oh, she was okay. the local president here in okay. Utah. Yep. And the first thing that hit me was, well, she seems really nice. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I had this image of her being, you know, this, this evil woman. Yeah. And here she was being very kind. And I, I told her, I don't agree with you on anything else. I'm pro-choice i'm you know think kids should get contraceptives i'm you know i i'm against guns i'm you know basically mm -hmm. everything you agree with except for this i'm against and she said we still want you to come and talk and i so so i went to a couple of her events just to talk about the transgender ideology mm -hmm. and then i was invited to talk at the national eagle forum convention in washington dc and again i told them i don't agree with you on anything mm -hmm. <laughs> except for this one thing um, I, and in fact, at the time, I thought most kids who were transgender were probably either um, had been sexually assaulted or were gay kids that were being trans. That was mm -hmm. sort of how I had, had thought about it. And they, they still wanted me to come. So I went to Washington, D.C., and it was really the first time I'd been around believers, um, just surrounded by these amazing, mm -hmm. beautiful, godly women. And I felt so shameful 
and mm-hmm. dirty and unworthy. Um, and I just did not feel like I fit in at all. And the reason was because at the time I was making a living making porn for Pornhub. Mm. Um, so <laughs> I thought I need to let them know because I told them I don't agree with them, but I didn't tell them that I was actually an amateur porn maker for Pornhub. Mm-hmm. And I felt like if they knew that, they probably wouldn't want me there. Mm. Um, so I met with a couple of the women that I had connected with and confessed to them. And I expected them to say, go pack your bags, you're out of here. Mm. And they just loved me. Mm. Um, they just, uh, mm. and I just never felt that kind of just complete acceptance. And, mm. and, and, and of course they didn't say, oh, that's great. Yeah. They were very concerned. But they definitely wanted me to still present. And so the next day I did my presentation. And after I presented, one of the women who I talked to came up and she said, Aaron, I know you don't believe in God, but I need you to know he believes in you. Mm. And it was the first time that I ever felt worthy of God's love. Wow. And it just, and really had an understanding of, I want to be like these women. They have something. There's something going Mm. on with them. They're so beautiful. You know, it was like the light of God just was shining through them and mm. I could feel it. And so I came home and I knew I had a decision to make and I sat on my bed and recognized my life was going to be radically changed if I accepted Jesus. But I also just felt like it was the answer that I'd been looking for my whole life, mm. that all of the self-harming behaviors that I had, all of the dysfunction I had was a result of not knowing God. So I accepted Jesus and I just mm. felt like he He just came through me and he mm. did so much healing. The next day I went and removed, I had over 400 videos on Pornhub. I had no idea how I was going to make a living. Mm. Um, just deleted everything, started going to church. Um, God really surrounded me with some beautiful mentors. Uh, I lost most of my friends and family because of my acceptance of Jesus, mm. but he has just restored me. And um, not long after I deleted all the videos, someone called me and said, they felt like they should offer me a job. <laughs> so it was um, a job that I never expected to have. Mm-hmm. She just said, I think God wants me to give you this job. Do you need one? And I'm Yes, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> really, so great. So I just feel like um, it has been a, a very difficult journey because I was so connected with the left and with atheism and with you know sort of moral relativism. That was my whole life. Um, it was it's it's been a journey trying to sort of um, recreate my life, but God has just been so faithful mm. and um, put me in touch with wonderful people like Ted and you and mm. um, Billy Burley, who's another detransitioner. Um, and, yes. and the women that, uh, were in at the Eagle forum with me, uh, I feel like they're my sisters. We're still in touch. Hmm. They just have, have kind of walked with me along the path and it just has been, um, just incredibly healing. So I, so I have this strong testimony for people that, you know, I know that there are some people who just have, have overcome same sex attraction or just overcome promiscuity or just overcome a trans identity. I feel like my life was sort of this. Um, like if you could look at it as, as a, as an example of all the different ways that someone tries to find God without realizing that's what she's doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There was this brokenness that I was trying to heal in all these different ways. And many of them are very dysfunctional. And once I, once I accepted God, it was just this overwhelming, like healing. Oh, this is what I've been looking for. So, yeah. 
That's so great. And um, thanks for sharing that with us, Aaron. What a powerful, what a powerful story, you know, of God's grace and, and anyone who has given their life to Christ, you know, we're, we're each trophies of his grace. And, mm-hmm. and I think, honestly, the other thing I just want to mention is a, is a little bit of a counterbalance to some of, you know, my crazy story and, and, and the, the directions I went uh, in. I think there's, so, well, I know there are so many uh, people who haven't gone down those paths, paths that you and I have gone down. Um, they've, they've never really gotten wrapped up in a lot of sexual brokenness or drugs or those kinds of things. And they came to Christ and, and they feel like, Oh, my story is so bland and my story uh-huh. is so, but the mm-hmm. truth is, and I get, I get what they're saying in a sense, but the reality that, that God's sust- in our culture, <laughs> you know, that God has sustained or they, they have um, submitted themselves to him or, or even if it was, even if it was simply out of um, maybe not even necessarily out of knowing him, but just seeing others uh, making a train wreck of their lives. And they chose even before knowing him or, or yeah. really submitting to him in any way, shape or form that that just wasn't the best path for them. That wasn't a direction they wanted to go down, regardless of what the reasons um, the, the idea that a person in our culture could uh could basically, you know, uh, move into adulthood without all of the baggage of lots and lots of sexual encounters and all kinds of things. Um, and, and yet, or in other, other pretty extreme uh, forms of brokenness or addiction and, and feel like, Oh, my story isn't that, that tremendous. The truth mm-hmm. is it is tremendous. And it people is. need to know yeah. that, that it's not yeah. just the really broken that have come back uh, or have found their way, or God has brought them back into the light basically and, and restored our sanity. But it's those who have never gone down those paths too, that have a tremendous uh, testimony uh, thoughts on well, that. And I think, I think that there are people who haven't, I mean, I, I, I'm thankful for anybody who hasn't been along the path that I have been, because it has been very difficult. Mm. And for people who come to Christ earlier too, yeah. it just means that they have, um, they have more time to glorify God in their mm-hmm. life. And, and they, you know, I have this firm conviction that by following God, my life is better. You know, I'm healthier. Yes. I have joy. Um, but at the same time, even people who don't have our kind of history, um, they have a vicarious brokenness just first of all, because of the fall, but also yes. because our society is just infused with so much sin Yes, that, that even people who haven't made the choices we have still um, really need our savior yeah. in order to help, um, you know, support them and, and keep them safe and keep that sin away and, mm-hmm. and offer the, the amazing gift of forgiveness. We know that, you know, I was just reading a book today and it talked about all the different ways that we sin and, and our, our kind of sin, the kind of lives we had tends to be, um, maybe, maybe think of people think of it as more, more radical or, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, I can't believe you went that far, Right. but that everybody sins. And and Jesus died for all of our sins, whether that's, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the porn that I made or the same sex, you know, relationships that we engaged in or the transgender ideology or whether it's just, Mm -hmm. just lying or pride or, you know, any of these these things um, Jesus can really rescue us from. Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me, even in just some of the conversations that uh, my two boys and I have, they're now 12 and 14. And, uh, you know, they gave their lives to Christ many years ago. And, 
it, there, there'll be times that we're reading through our Bible or we're having some discussion about um, uh, a chapter that we're reading together or a book we're reading together or whatever around certain topics. And and they know my story as well now. I mean, they didn't know for a long time. My wife and I uh, felt like it was really important to give them the, the, the longest breadth of just mm-hmm. living in their innocence and not even being exposed to this stuff. Uh, and so that was an important value for us just to let them enjoy being boys without all this other uh, stuff encroaching. At the same time, we also realize we live in a culture we want to prepare them for. And so, um, you know, they, they're very aware of what we do in ministry and uh, travel with, with me often. And, but we'll have these conversations and they'll talk about, you know, what, what Jesus, what Jesus has done in their life. And my, you know, one of my sons in particular will be like, well, you know, it, it, it's true. Certainly I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was like six. So, you know, there, there wasn't gobs and gobs of addiction and brokenness. You know, those are his words even to, to repent of, but still the, the, the awareness that, that he still has a tendency. Uh, both of them have a pull toward just the thing, the things you're talking about toward pride, toward stubbornness, toward selfishness, toward greed, toward, you know, any number of things, um, that, that, just by virtue of living in this world, by virtue of the fall, by virtue of having an enemy who wars against our soul, they feel, even at young ages, they feel that pull in that direction as well and understand how much they're in need of a savior, just as much as you and I and anybody else would be. So, yeah, it's an important distinction. You know, so Aaron, when did you, what year was it when you actually gave your life to Christ? It's 2019, so okay. I'm a relatively new believer. Yes, yes, and 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 it was it was quite a ride because um, I got baptized in January of 2020. The day after I was baptized, my husband at the time said he was divorcing me. <laughs> wow! And then COVID hit, so it was this like so I couldn't go to churches. Um, I couldn't go to church. I couldn't be around uh, a community. And wow. and that's where I feel incredibly thankful that God put people in my life who could, you know, get on, hop on Zoom yep. and, and talk with me. And mm. I found a number of really wonderful churches to watch their um, services, but it was mm-hmm. definitely a little bit harder, I think, than the, you know, than somebody who, who finds Christ and starts going to church and has a community of, yes. um, of believers around them, but I've found a really wonderful church now and I feel much more settled, but I definitely feel like I'm, I'm still learning a lot. I'm still, mm-hmm. um, really one of the, one of the things that I realized, um, relatively recently is that because I grew up with this sense of the occult and the sense of the devil being very dangerous, mm-hmm. um, it, it, I really didn't understand that God's more powerful. Mm. And the enemy until relatively recently. So I still had this sense of like mm-hmm. constantly, like I know we need to wear our armor, but it was almost like I was a commando, like mm. got to be on alert all the time because Satan's going to try and get me like just this. And it was almost, it was like too much. It was yeah. almost sinful in the way I was, I was sort of in this, um, going to fight the enemy. And I, mm. you know, so I've learned now, no, no, God, God's way more powerful than the enemy. Mm. And as long as I put my trust in him, follow his guidance. And of course, yes, wear the armor, but not sort of be this crazy vigilante, like, you know, constantly looking for the devil behind every corner. Yes. Um, that has helped me a lot to sort of, um, 
find that peace that we learn about in the Bible, find Mm -hmm. that, you know, the joy, the fruit of the spirit really has been able to grow more since I've had that recognition of, of God is all powerful. I don't have to have this incredible anxiety and fear about the enemy. I need to be aware of the enemy for Mm -hmm. sure and on alert, but not to the point where I was sort of crippled by it. Yeah. Great point. And as you say that, what that makes me think of is the idea of, I think many of us on lots of different topics, lots of different issues that we we can come to a place of having maybe even growing up with the right information that we intellectually give assent to. And, and, mm-hmm. and we agree with, I mean, intellectually, we would say, yes, this is truth. Uh, but experientially, and the way we live our lives, we actually communicate that there's something that we believe that is in direct opposition mm-hmm. to what we agree with intellectually. And, and honestly, that, that experiential belief system, that, um, that maybe more emotional kind of soul level belief system is what tends to really drive us. Uh, mm-hmm. I think even more so than what we um, give intellectual assent to. And, and so it even, even, but uh, the beginning of that is coming into an intellectual understanding of what's true, like agreeing mm-hmm. mentally, um, in, in, in our thought life with what's true, but then to see it worked out where we actually get it and it clicks like, Oh yes, je- I can really, I can rest in this. I can rest in, in the Lord. I can, I, yes, I need to be alert, but I don't have to be on like what you're describing, you know, all the time at, almost as if I am my own protector because mm-hmm. he actually, the Lord is my right. protector. Right. That's a really good point. And I do think that that difference between the intellectual versus you can really tell when when somebody kind of integrates something because their behavior Mm. is reflected in it. Yes. So lots of times I hear people say, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. And then I'm like, really? Huh? Doesn't look like it. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Not to be judgmental, but it's and I do that with myself, too. There are times where I'm thinking, wow, if you really believe in Jesus, you're going to have a lot more. Um, comfort. You're going to be casting yes. your anxieties onto him. You're not going to be, you're, you're going to have that joy that comes mm-hmm. from reflecting his God's, God's love and, and glorifying him. And, and yes. I think that that's really, it took me a number of years to get to that point. So it was initially, it was very much an intellectual like sense of, of this is, this is true. Yes. I, I believe the Bible is true. And I believe that that all of the things that I believed prior, the moral relativism and and, and many other things, that those mm. were the lies. And a lot of that came just from those that experience around those women who were just, it was really the first time I'd been around love, mm. just this sense of unconditional love. And as you know, on the left, they talk about love is love. Right. Um, there's this whole sense of tolerance and we love you. But I never felt love before, especially yes. that kind of unconditional love. So it was, it really was this cognitive dissonance of my side says love, that they love me, but they, they don't act like it. This side mm. they say is hateful, but boy, they sure are not acting hateful. So it caused this tremendous cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And I've heard that from people who, who are coming to Christ that, that initially there is this cognitive dissonance because mm. they're trying to make sense of everything you've learned. And suddenly it doesn't make sense anymore. And, and so, yes. so I think that lot, you know, a lot of times people do come to, come to Christ sort of logically, but then there's a lot more that has to happen to sort of soften the heart and really, um, allow Christ. And I feel like this might be the first Christmas where I'm just mm. on fire for Christmas because That's I finally so am, I finally get 
wow, God mm. came down and this is, Jesus really was God and really yeah. was man. And this little baby came and, and suffered so, mm. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's so much more of this emotional, like, praise God. <laughs> yes. Know? Yeah, I absolutely. I want to our Savior's birth. Mm-hmm. Oh, so true. And actually what you're sharing about your own story, what you shared earlier, and then what you're uh, kind of summarizing a little bit now in relationship to the, to the Christian women that, that you were around in your life, and you're noticing things about them that you weren't expecting. And that reminds me um, uh, some of uh, Rosaria Butterfield's story. And I don't know how much you are or aren't aware of her. You probably know the name, right? Yeah. Rosaria Butterfield. Yeah. yeah. But but that same idea, I was just listening to uh, doing, I love doing audiobooks, and I was listening to her latest book and she was talking about uh, very something very similar about being, and, and also having that, that knowing she was going to be in the midst of some Christians and some Christian women in particular, and just bracing herself, you know, for, <laughs> and, 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 and then being completely disarmed, like, wait a minute. I mean, they're really nice. They're pretty yeah. intellectual. They're, you know, they're, they're yeah, some, there's a joy. And, yeah, and exactly. And they have, <laughs> they have fun. I mean, I have this, yeah, it definitely was because I really felt like I was going into enemy camp when yes. I was going to this Washington. And, and the first thing I was like, these people are super nice. Mm. What's going on here? And then they're really fun. Yes. And then I'm, they're really smart. Mm. <laughs> it was just this like bang, bang, bang. Yes. And it was really interesting because at one point during the conference, they were talking about abortion. And as I said, I had been taught from the time I was mm. very little and, and really believed that, that a woman had a fundamental right to abortion and that you should never force someone to carry a pregnancy. And I was mm. sitting there listening to them and I'm sure God did this. I just wasn't quite in touch with how it came to me, but yep. I raised my hand and I said, what do you say to someone like me who doesn't believe in God? How do you, how do you make a case against abortion? Mm -hmm. And they kind of had a hard time with it. They made a couple of points. And then I said, Oh, age and location. You shouldn't kill someone based on how old they are or where they're located. Mm -hmm. And they all kind of looked at me like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's great. It was, it was clear, like just being among those women that God was just, grab and hold of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And it also, to me, highlights the, the you know, growing up, I, I distinctly remember growing up in church and growing up in, in a very um, cessationist uh, Baptist background, uh, which there's a lot of wonderful truth in, in, in that arena. But, um, but growing up in a very legalistic um, mm. community, I, um, I, I remember when we, whenever we did talk about the gifts of the spirit and of course all, you know, tongues and all of that was out the window and we're, but, but I remember thinking, um, with some of the other gifts, you know, oh, surely I'm going to wind up with nothing more than the gifts of gift of helps, you know, or, <laughs> or the gift of hospitality, you know, and what a boring sort of gift. And, and, and I, I just remember really looking down as a kid, as a, as a kid uh -huh. and a teenager looking down on those gifts and, uh -huh. and, and the ones that are more flashy, the teaching and the preaching or whatever, thinking, you know, not that I really was wanting to aspire to be a pastor or a teacher, but I just remember distinctly thinking, oh, those other ones are so, eh. uh -huh. but, but the truth, um, 
And and again, this is highlighted even in Rosaria's. I think it's her third book. The gospel comes with a house key. Uh, in in I think it's the the phrase. I can't remember if it's a subtitle or it's just uh, the, a phrase that she uses often in the book, where she talks about radical ordinary hospitality. Mm-hmm. And um and I've yeah. come to realize, you know, duh, uh, that hospitality is one of the most and 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 service. They're, they're some of the most powerful and wonderful gifts. Like what you're describing about being in the presence of just women who love Jesus, women who love each other, women who were welcoming you in, like you're thinking, okay, I'm going to say this and they're going to be like, you're out of here. And instead yeah. they're just kind of drawing you nearer, wanting you to be a part of them. And, um, and, and that, that gift of hospitality, that gift of serving and just being able to abide with, with someone is such a powerful and, and in this day so needed. Yeah. Um, I, I I just don't. I know that I really disregarded something uh, as a as an ignorant kind of foolish youngster. Uh, disregarded something that actually is one of the most powerful gifts of all. Yeah, and I think if if Christians realized, I mean, I always say if if God can get me, He can get anybody. Because mm-hmm. I was about as as you know. The vast majority of people who knew me prior to that would say she will never become yes. a Christian ever, yes. um, <laughs> including me. Mm-hmm. I, I I would tell people I don't have the God gene. You know, some people need God because they're weak, like, and they need to this assurance of heaven. You know, mm-hmm. I had this. I had a lot of very condescending attitudes towards Christians, um, but that, like you said, that that ability to love others, I think that draws people to us and and it is just a powerful gift if if you can reflect God's love yes. and and have that hospitality and and it's interesting cuz i remember um i had a really rough time in my life and and a, a christian woman reached out to me and asked if i wanted to come and spend the night cuz i was mm. really struggling and and i said yes and i was really grateful to that because i i sort of wasn't feeling very loved i was feeling very alone mm-hmm. and then she said do you want to bring your cat and i was like Wow. Wow. Mm. She really cares about me. Mm. And I didn't bring the cat, but just the, just the offer, like she's willing to not only open her home up to me, Mm -hmm. she cares enough about me to even open it up to my cat. And some people hate cats. I don't think she really likes cats. (laughs) She's not someone who has pets, but Mm -hmm. she wrecked I mean, just that offer was just so touching. So I think one of the ways we can reach people who 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 are really um, kind of firm against Christians is is by being loving and kind, and just allowing God to work through us. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, you were also talking in the beginning about uh, your mom a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, is she still alive? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, uh, I don't have a relationship with her. Okay. But she is still alive. Okay. Um, and I pray for her. I, mm-hmm. I do pray that she will come to know Jesus. I think she'll be, you know, the last years of her life will be much happier if she does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I work, I, I, I'm sort of still working on getting to the point where I can maybe try to restore our relationship. Yeah. Uh, it has been really tough because uh, just the the amount of damage that was done during childhood, um, yeah. my parents had an open marriage Mm -hmm. there was just a lot of uh a lot of sin in the house growing up and a lot of confusion and the messaging to me um you know one of the strongest messages i got was that kids can never abstain from sex 
It's just mm. ludicrous to even expect kids to right. abstain from sex. Of course, they're going to have sex. So you need to make sure they have contraceptives and abortions. And you need to make sure that they're educated about sexually transmitted infections. And I mean, this was a message I got from the time I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, very, very young. Um, and, and, that, and that sex was as kind of like going and getting an ice cream cone or playing a game. Like mm-hmm. if you were bored and you wanted to have a little fun, yep. just go have some sex. Um, so, so just the, that messaging, you know, throughout my life really, uh, I think made me very vulnerable to mm-hmm. a lot of uh, situations that, that really were harmful. And there was also a lot of drug use. And so after my brother and I had been abducted and I was assaulted, we went home and, and, and my stepfather talked to us about it and he actually went and looked for the guys but they did not call the police mm. because they you know i don't know how, how familiar are your listeners are to sort of the hippie scene of, of the you know they you know more power to the people mm-hmm. they were against all authority they sure. would never call the police because the police might first of all bust them for drug use and second of all the police were the authority figures so they didn't want anything to do with them and so there were all these ways in which um I feel like there could have been interventions to kind of get me back on track that right. weren't happening. Um, and so I'm, I, I've forgiven my mother. I'm just not, I feel like I need to get to a point where I'm, where I'm very strong in my faith so that I can reflect God's love to her and, and, and be solid mm-hmm. as a Christ to her and not, not in, not have to worry about being sucked into her reality anymore Mm -hmm. and i feel like i'm getting there and at some point i would really love to have a couple of solid christians um come with me to visit her um just because i do feel like you know god works in amazing ways and maybe if if she sees what what god has done in my life maybe Mm -hmm. she would soften and and i used to and this was part of my uh fallacy about how strong satan was um people would say you know at some point your mom might come to Jesus and maybe when she dies, even Jesus will come to her. And I said, Satan's got hold of her so strongly. Mm. She'll never come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And now I realized that was, that was being completely unfaithful to God. Of course, God can get her. Of course, yeah. God can soften her heart. So that's something I pray for. Well, and I, I, this is ridiculous. I'm bringing up Rosaria's name constantly, but <laughs> uh, in, in just reading some of her books and so appreciating a lot of what she shares, um, that again was was her story too. Like her mom came to to faith like right at the end. It was very resistant and so angry that Rosaria was even going. I mean, it, it's ironic when you have parents who'd rather you be a porn star or lesbian or trans or whatever, and it's like a Christian. You know, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing ever. And yeah. uh, and so you know, but but her mom finally came to faith just before the end when wow. she was in her. I think she was even in her nineties. I I don't remember the exact how exactly how old she was but she was quite old and she was resistant like right up to the end and then finally um she had a clear um uh surrender and and yeah that's just that gives me so much hope gary thank you for sharing that yeah i do i have heard stories like that where people you know just in their last days suddenly god gets hold of them and it makes me sad that they lived all that time without knowing jesus yes but oh i'm so thankful when when he's able to get hold of them it's just beautiful 
Well, I was listening to a a podcast. I don't even remember which particular one it was. I listened to a number of them, but the the person who is doing the the, the podcast um, program was they were interviewing um, Posey Parker. Are you familiar with her? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh And I couldn't even think of her name a few minutes ago as you were talking and I was, I was remembering the conversation, but I thought, well, Lord, if you want me to bring up her name, you're going to have to remind me of it. And then boom. Uh, And in, I, so I was listening to her talk and, and as I'm listening, I'm like, this woman as an atheist is like as close to Christianity as you can get. Right. And, and, uh, in, in the program she's talking and then, and the, and the guy, I don't remember if it was Glenn Beck or who, but the, the person that she was talking with is like, you're, you're like the, the most Christian atheist I've ever, you know, and she (laughs) joked and she said, you know, I have some of my dearest friends of now are evangelicals. And she said, they're all telling me, you know, and and Posey Parker is not, it's a pseudonym. I forget what her real name is, but they'll call her by her first. What is it? Yeah. Kelly J. Keene. Okay. And uh, Kelly, you're going to wind up being, you know, an evangelical pastor. That's how God's going to get back, you know, (laughs) and, and she jokes and laughs and, but I really, I, I am waiting for the day and hopefully it's not long down the road where she makes a genuine profession of faith and surrenders her life. It's like, she's resisting something that she even knows is, is there and present. And, uh, and I think everything around her, the Lord is just revealing himself so clearly. And she's such a bright woman. Um, And uh, anyway, I just, and of course it's not through our intellect that we know God it's through the spiritual, but I, I do time to time find myself praying for her uh, and, and, and just so longing to see her come into the kingdom as one who's so close um, yeah. anyway, well, it just, I've, it was, seen that. I've seen that a lot because I have a lot of friends and the transgender ideology has actually challenged a lot of, especially radical feminist women, mm-hmm. especially radical feminist lesbians, because there's, they sort of co-opted this narrative of I'm born this way. Mm-hmm. I can't change, which, which causes, I mean, then people who are same sex attracted start saying, huh, that sounds familiar. Right. And that's clearly a lie when it comes to transgender. Maybe it's a lie when it comes to same-sex attraction too. Right. And and the feminist narrative also, I think, is being challenged somewhat because clearly these women who are concerned about transgender ideology are saying there is something distinctly different between males and females. And we need to protect that difference and we need to cherish that difference. Yes. And so I see a lot of a lot of people who I who I um, you know work with in these circles fighting transgender ideology, they're so close. And I think what it is, is this, you know, it's the same. I remember that feeling sitting on my bed and thinking, I don't know how the dominoes are going to fall, but I know the moment I accept Jesus, I'm, I'm putting in motion something that I have no idea what's going to happen. Yes. And it was incredibly painful. There was this whole mm. Facebook discussion among my friends talking about how I'd gone crazy and needed to be committed. I mean, it was just, and, and, and I walk down the street now and people will like, walk away from me and mm. I've gotten death threats and I've, you know, it's been a hard road. Yeah. And I think that there are people who sort of see it and they're like, not, they're just not quite ready to, to make the change because it does have such huge ramifications. And yes. I think the biggest one is the LGB because so many people who are fighting transgender ideology have this idea of, you know, we don't like the trans, but we're fine with the LGB. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I was for a long time until I started talking to person after person after person whose stories were so much like mine. They mm. had a sexual assault or some other kind of trauma that corrupted their sexuality. Yep. And I realized all of this is about 
um, really per- protecting perpetrators in a lot of ways because, mm-hmm. you know, almost every same-sex attracted person I've talked to has had some kind of sexual assault in their past. That doesn't get addressed because we just say, well, they're same-sex attracted. And it also doesn't allow them to process what happened to them. And right. so I just, and suddenly I was like, this is the same thing. This is, this is um, really Satan's way of getting hold of people and our society's accepted this narrative that, that, you know, you're born gay. And yet story after story after story was so much like mine um, that I thought, you know, yes. it, it, all you really need is one case of someone who says I was same sex attracted and I overcame it mm-hmm. to debunk the idea that you're born that way. Right. And we have, as you said, with the changed movement, thousands at yep. least, at least who are publicly mm-hmm. testifying about their change. And I thought at the core of all of this is that sexual brokenness. It's the same thing that caused me to, you know, be overly promiscuous. It's the same thing that caused me to want to make porn. It's the same thing that, you know, same sex attraction. It's all about that sexual brokenness. And we have a society now that encourages that rather than trying to heal that. And to me, that's the, that's the most shocking thing is that we have therapists and we have people who would rather have a child go on puberty blockers and cross sex hormones and get surgeries than to talk to a pastor about Jesus. Yes. I mean, to me, if that isn't, if that isn't clear that there's some disconnect going on, um, I mean, if people really know about all of the side effects of the cross sex, you know, hormones mm. and the puberty blockers, yeah. we're talking lower, we're basically inducing developmental delays. We're retarding children. People would rather do yes. that than allow them to come to know Jesus. I mean, if the enemy wanted a, a a way to really break apart our society, this is the way to do it. Right, and I would say even take it take it a, a step back, even from the idea of come to Jesus or even talk to a pastor about Jesus. They would rather allow for. Uh, not allow for, but even advocate for uh, cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, uh, some some form of so-called surgical transition, which will permanently medicalize um, those those folks for the rest of their life, and in some fashion or another, and um, and also in many cases require ongoing cross-sex hormones for the rest of their life, et cetera. We it, without and and I don't I don't think that there's. I think for many people, there's not that full thought of what am I actually advocating for long term? They're thinking very short term, but they're also thinking not even about, uh, I'd rather do this than have someone come to Jesus or talk to a pastor, but I'd rather do this than even allow them to experience talk therapy. Like even have a few questions. Yes. Yeah, psychotherapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, the yeah. kind of therapy that I had as a kid, the school counselor talking to me yeah. about these issues. That's that's illegal in lots of places now. The yeah. fact that they, they don't even want a child to explore where this could be coming from. Uh, to yeah. me, it just really is such an example of evil. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I go back to what, you know, what my trajectory would have been like if I were a child today versus what it was. And, and granted, like I still had some bumps along the road, but, but a lot of that was because of the family I was raised in. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, a direct result of the transgender identity. I think the transgender identity might have been, you know, if I had, if I had gotten the help I needed immediately to process the assault, that might not have even developed. Right. Um, but the fact that, you know, we have people who want to just deny, you know, 
health, really health and well-being. And mm-hmm. so it's just allowing them to explore what is it that's causing you to feel like you don't belong as a girl or belong as a boy? And and ironically, so many of these kids that are that are um, announcing a transgender identity as teenagers, they're just kids who don't fit in very well. Yes, they don't adhere to regressive sex-based stereotypes, which is ostensibly what the left was fighting all this time. So we have feminists who are trying to say girls can drive trucks and play with Legos and be president of the United States mm-hmm. if they want to. Now those girls are getting the message if if you're if you deviate at all from the traditional norms of what it means to be a female, yeah. then you're probably a boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these kids don't have gender dysphoria and don't have the trauma. They just they're just normal kids who are being told, oh, you're a little different from the other girls or boys. It's probably because you're born in the wrong body. Right. Right. And so many times also uh, we're finding more and more that um, that kids who uh, are on the autism spectrum wind like there's a, a a huge percentage and you probably even know the numbers off your head at the top of your head but there's a such a large percentage of those who would identify as being in the trans or the the gender non-conforming community at least or trans community who also um, ha- have been diagnosed as being on that spectrum somewhere yeah. what what are your um, thoughts about that what do you um, yeah. know through your research about that topic? Yeah, and that that's really common. Um, and I think that there's reasons both for boys who identify as trans and girls who identify as trans who are on the spectrum. Um, typically, boys who identify as trans who have autism, um, these are these are boys who are not fitting in very well. Mm-hmm. They tend to be very sensitive, and a lot of times the message that kid, that boys especially are getting in public schools these days is if they're white, heterosexual, cisgender, they're the oppressor. Um, they're responsible for basically all of the ills in society. And so these are kids, these are boys who are a little bit sensitive, who are yep. like, I, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be responsible for the oppression of women and gays and blacks and everybody else. But, you know, so they, so I think that they, that, that to, to them, it's a sort of a natural, oh, I don't feel like I'm an oppressor. I must be a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the messaging that if you don't feel like a boy, you must be a girl. And I think so. I think that that's what draws the boys, the girls. It's really interesting because um, so often when I talk to moms about girls who adopt a trans identity, I can almost predict what their daughter is going to be like if mm. it's if it's a rapid onset. Um, if it's not um, the the kind of presentation I had where having a trans identity as a child is pretty unusual these days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been pretty unusual. Um, most of the kids who are ad- announcing a trans identity, they, they didn't have any indication of gender dysphoria as a child. Um, and always, almost always these are girls who are, who are pretty sensitive. They tend to not fit in very well with the other girls. They might be good in science and math, um, which a lot of ki- girls with autism are good in science mm-hmm. and math. Um, and so they, they're just not fitting in very well. In addition, girls with autism tend not to have the social skills that girls have. Girls tend to be more social than boys. Yeah. So they look around and they say, I'm good at math. I'm good at science. I don't have good social skills. I don't fit in with the other girls. I must be a boy. And I think about even myself, I have a lot of um, characteristics that are not traditional for women. I, I hate shopping. I'm, um, I, t- I kind of have a uniform I wear every day because I don't like shopping. I just wear a black t-shirt mm-hmm. and leggings and I wear pretty much the same thing every day because I don't want to have to think about it. I'm sensitive to textures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sort of quirky and all of those are things that are pretty t- 
typical among kids, girls with autism. And so it's not surprising at all to me that we're seeing, you know, all of these girls, because what happens is that they embrace a trans identity and suddenly they're celebrated. Yes. The other thing that happens is that any girl who starts taking testosterone is going to have a boost in their self-confidence, any girl. Mm -hmm. And so they start taking testosterone and it's almost like it confirms to them, oh, I must have been trans. I feel better. Yes. The depression and anxiety that they've been struggling with often lifts initially because testosterone is a controlled substance. Mm -hmm. It's a steroid. It's like doping. And so they initially feel really good. Their friends are looking at it and thinking, I want some of that. Mm -hmm. Suddenly they feel really good, but they're not recognizing this is a short term fix. In the same way, we wouldn't give girls who are struggling heroin and say, oh, this will make you feel better. Although, Harry, honestly, the way our society is now, we might start doing that. Right. Um, Just because we want these kids to be happy. It seems Mm -hmm. to be like the motivating narrative that these kids need to be happy. But that's, I think that that's one of the things that's Mm -hmm. really confusing is that these girls initially do feel better. Almost any female who starts taking testosterone will initially feel better. Yeah. But that's not because they're transgender. It's because testosterone is a steroid. So um, that's where it gets really confusing because parents will say, well, well, I didn't believe that she was trans, but then she started taking testosterone and she looks, you know, all of a sudden she's happier. And I'm like, yep, Mm -hmm. it's true. Um, there's lots of things you could do to make her happier in the short term that we're not going to do because they're not healthy. Right, right. No, absolutely. Very true. And I, um, when you were talking about boys and and kind of describing, and I, I think so spot on, so accurate, describing boys that don't identify boys particularly who are who are white and um uh opposite sex attracted i mean all the things that kind of set you up for being marked in society as an oppressor basically and 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 there's uh um they don't they don't want to be the oppressor they don't want to be the bigot and that kind of thing and so therefore now uh one of the things they begin to adopt is this uh, this uh, the, uh, identification with and um, becoming an advocate for, you know, LGBTQ and, and a variety of things. But I think there's also with boys, it, another reaction that I think is very common is that they're, that what, and th- this is, makes me so angry uh, when it's done to boys or it's done to girls is that there is a, um, intrusive thoughts, ideas, indoctrination that sets in a shame around Mm -hmm. things that they cannot possibly change about themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in Christianity, we are, we know very clearly that the world is, um, is given over to sin, but the, the solution, God gave us a solution for sin, which is Jesus, which is putting our faith and trust in him. So there's a solution to the brokenness in this other religion called LGBTQ. There is no solution, LGBTQ and, 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 and basically, um, it, even, you know, critical theory, uh, yeah. the, there's, there's so many links and, and, um, connections on a, on a wide range of things, LGBTQ and critical theory and other things as well. Um, but 
the idea though that that boys and, and I think girls too can experience such a deep sense of shame about mm-hmm. things they can never change about themselves, about mm-hmm. their whiteness or or some other uh, classification that's now been labeled as privilege, mm-hmm. that there there is this deep seated sense of shame that drives uh, boys and girls, uh, young you know men and women to um, to really disown themselves, to despise themselves, to despise. Uh, the community that they happen to sort of be a part of, and 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 I think as a way of um, of atoning, like Jesus is our atonement, mm-hmm. but in this case, the way of atoning for this is to is to essentially live this perpetual life going forward of misery and shame and who you are, mm-hmm. and and again, that's a that's an that's a horrendous. Um, uh, thing to put on children and on you know young men and young women in our in our culture, regardless of what ethnicity, regardless of you know how many points on intersectionality that someone doesn't have, um, and and I think a lot of that is also feeding this advocacy and this desire to be a part of the LGBTQ acronym um, mm-hmm. because it somehow. Um, staves off, or it's the it's ultimately the atonement for something I can't change about myself. Well, and it's such a it's such a um, heartbreaking atonement because you know, we have Jesus who atoned for us. They're essentially killing who they are. Yes, I mean that's what that's what a trans identity is. You're killing your, the essence of who you are to adopt a new persona. Um, it's it's you know it's almost like a dissociative identity disorder gone to the extreme. Yes. And so we're, we're telling children that it's better to kill who they are and become, you know, recreate themselves as another person rather than to, um, you know, to find a way to live comfortably with who they are. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's a horrible message. Um, and it, and it is astonishing to me that, that that message is coupled with the suicide narrative that, that living with yourself as you are is so, um, unacceptable is so painful is so difficult that you have to kill who you are to become somebody else, or you might actually kill yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, it's such a confusing narrative. And again, I, you know, for the listeners who don't know, it's, it's, a, it's also a lie. Yes. And um, we know, we know for a fact that that's not true, that the kids who medically transition actually have higher risk of suicidality mm-hmm. and self-harming behavior because they're being told the core of who they are is not acceptable. They're being reinforced with that belief. And I think about myself as a child and as much as I wanted people to say, yes, you're a girl or a boy. Yes. It's okay for you to use the bathroom. Yes. We'll call you by the name you want. Yes. You can play with the boys. Mm -hmm. You don't have to dress in girls clothes anymore. As much as I wanted that, I'm so thankful. Nobody said that to me and that they helped me to recognize, try as I might, as much as I wanted to be a different person, I was the person that I am. And now I realize I'm the person God created me to be. And I'm incredibly thankful that I didn't, you know, have to completely reject myself in Mm -hmm. order to survive. Now these kids really are, as you said, they're being taught that they have to reject the essence of who they are. And it's not just their whiteness, it's their masculinity or their femininity, these really core things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's just, it is really heartbreaking. Well, and as we're talking too, one of the things that I'm often reminded of, and I'm reminded in this conversation, is that the enemy of our soul, Satan, does, he, he, 
he does not have um, the the creative ability that God has. And yet we know yeah. from, I think it's in Ezekiel, where he wanted to be like God. And, and so he's constantly looking for ways that he can be creative. And the only thing he can do in creativity is to distort something God has already created. And so this idea, like even it, whether it's, whether it's um, uh, hard and fast realities and, and the laws of nature, or it's ideas and concepts. Uh, for example, the reality that to for us there there is a a huge value, and there's um, there's resurrection life on the other side of choosing Jesus and dying to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a very spiritual and beautiful concept of it's not that I'm just trying to put a tweak on my flesh, which sadly a lot of churches are promoting that kind of nonsense these days, basically preaching a bunch of good TED Talks. But yeah. rather, it's about, no, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and this symbolism of of water baptism, of death, burial, um, and, and then to be raised again to newness of life, there is a way in which I die to myself and I come alive in Christ. And there is a new man and there is a new woman. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely true. And that is a profound and beautiful thing. We're made spiritually alive. Uh, and as we, when we give our lives to Jesus, and so the enemy comes along and 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 begins um, discipling and teaching people through others who are also confused. Some that I think are doing this with full knowledge, but most confused, mm-hmm. um, who are promoting this idea of remaking ourselves, basically mm-hmm. rather than 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 yielding to. Uh, the image of God and the way that God has created us, we're going to make God into our own image and we're going to do whatever we want to to ourselves to align to whoever we want to be. And, And in a sense, you're right. We're going to kind of kill off who we once were to become somebody else, but we're doing it in a way that actually is self-destructive and in a way that is really um, very much similar to to bowing down and worshiping another God, other idols in the way that we're living this out. And so it just, I see over and over again in our culture, and it seems like rather, there were a lot of grays when I was growing up. There were a lot of Mm -hmm. things that it was hard to sometimes tell what was Christian versus what was kind of cultural Christianity, uh, what was authentic, what wasn't. These days, I mean, honestly, in some ways, the one blessing we have as things get darker is Mm -hmm. there's there's a greater distinction between darkness and light. And I think we're seeing more and more how the enemy often is overplaying his hand, and he's he's often being exposed as um, promoting one after another counterfeit of of something that the society is buying into and our brokenness we're buying into as a solution when Jesus calls us to a whole other kind of solution. Does that right? Oh yeah, and and actually, you talked about them worshiping another god. I almost uh, have have the sense that a lot of these people um, have been convinced they are God. Yes. They are their own God. Yes. Um, they don't even need Jesus because they're their own God mm-hmm. and they get to make these decisions and they, um, you know, our technology now empowers people with the ability to recreate ourselves in, in um, profound ways. And, yeah. and so it is a sense, and I've, I've talked to people who, who even say, yeah, I don't need God. I, I can do what I want. I'm my own God. It's, mm-hmm. it's very much, uh, you know, Satan has, has, has sort of co-opted, like you said, the, the beauty. And, and, and we see that in just the way in which, uh, 
humans are being kind of dehumanized. And it's, it's so yes. interesting to me because the social justice movement, uh, you know, they claim that they're fighting for human rights over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. They're fighting for human rights. But if you look at what they're doing, they're actually undermining human rights. Yes. They're, you know, killing infants in utero. They're, they're now encouraging suicide. You know, yes. we have this whole narrative that, that if you're unhappy, that, that maybe you should kill yourself. Yeah. And, and, and Canada has assisted suicide along with another year, a, a number of European countries. Mm -hmm. If you don't like how you look, you can recreate yourself. And at the same time, we have medical research into womb transplants for men. So, so men who, who want to carry a baby to term now, they're looking at womb transplants. So it, crazy. I mean, which is just crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just such a, um, such a mockery of yes. God's plan and such a mockery of what's God's doing. And, and like you said, I do mm. think in a way Satan's overplaying his hand because so many people like me who I would never have gotten, I never would have been around those beautiful women mm -hmm. if it hadn't been for the trans ideology and the trans mm. ideology is just so extreme. that I think a lot of people are starting to just question. Yes. And this whole narrative of, you know, the oppressed and the oppressor, um, you know, I joke about all the different, you know, if you look at intersectionality, all the different points that I have, mm -hmm. and then I say the points that I don't have, I can identify into. Um, yes, yes, right. <laughs> at this point. Mm -hmm. And it's so ironic to me that, um, that if I were to say that I'm, you know, a, a black woman, that that would be considered really offensive. But I could say I'm a man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Know, it's just, you know, the, the, the whole narrative is just very confusing. And, and so you talked about children. And I think the bottom line that what this, this uh, trans ideology does is it undermines reality for children. Yes. And if you can confuse children, you know, we're talking five-year-olds who yep. are being exposed to this. We have kids who are five-year-olds who have story time where a transgender identified man comes in and reads a story about mm -hmm. uh, what, how great it is to realize you're born in the wrong body. There are little tiny kids who who are you know who don't have really um, who, you know who rely on adults to to help uh, create reality for them. Yes, and 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 that's being undermined. And I think if you can if you can confuse a kid about something as basic as biology when they're five years old, yep. you can confuse them about darn near anything. Yep. And that's what concerns me is that we're going to have we have a whole generation of kids who's growing up and they're not going to know who to trust because the teachers lied to them. The doctors lied to them. The people on TV lied to them. Mm -hmm. Who are they going to go to? We hope that they come to God and we as Christians can be there waiting for them and welcoming them. But I, I worry that they're going to fall into the same kind of pattern that I did where mm -hmm. I didn't have a good sense of reality growing up. Things were very confused so I just kept kind of bouncing from one dangerous, harmful behavior to another. And, and, and I mean, it, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that if I had, you know, been more open to Jesus, if I hadn't been so resistant to God and so, I mean, I really sort of like, I think of myself as sort of a mule with my heels dug in, like, I am not mm -hmm. even going to consider um, this. I think that, you know, at, again, because of all the confusion I had as a child, um, but, but I pray that these kids will come across Christians who can reflect truth and love to them. Because I think that, yeah. I think we have an opportunity to, to rescue. So, so uh, you know, a whole generation, because at some point they're going to realize that they've been misled and they've yes. been lied to. And there are some that are going to dig in 
but there are going to be a lot who are going to be looking for truth. Yes. Yeah. And I, that just underscores, I mean, really the reason our ministry love and truth network and transforming congregations exists is for the sake of equipping the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the, I am, I'm incredibly as dark as things are on so many levels and uh, as confused as, as, people are on even some of the most basic things. If you, even if you set God aside, if you just pay attention to natural law, I mean, hello, uh, there's so many common sense realities that are being completely overrun. And, and for the church though, to recognize we have an unbelievable opportunity mm-hmm. to be nurses and doctors uh, for um, spiritually and emotionally hurting lost people. Yes. And, and even those that have done great damage to themselves physically and, and, and under the scalpel in the hand of others. And, and so the church getting prepared and, and really becoming, um, if, 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 if anything, leaning into that spiritual gift of hospitality, right. Of look, we want to, we're making a place for you and, and we want you to be a part of, uh, of the body of Christ. And that, and that does not mean that we are going to in any way, uh, a, a true church, the biblical church is going to lower the standards in terms of what God calls true and right. Not at all, but we are going to love in such a way, like what you experience being amongst these women, uh, that you're going to experience this idea of incredible acceptance for who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And even as you experience that, you also experience a sense of, Ooh, but look at what I'm doing in my own personal mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't align like the, the Bible talks about that, uh, the, the darkness is repelled by light. When I was living in darkness, I was repelled by genuine uh, light of other Christians. And, uh, and so, but, but the, but the reality is, is we as a church have a, an incredible opportunity to be a part of this harvest field that is present, but I think it's just increasing in magnitude as the, as the days and the, uh, you know, the years go on. And so I'm very hopeful for the way that God can equip and empower the church that is willing for him to do that. And so I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. One thing, Aaron, that I heard you talk about and, and, and clarify in DC that I thought would be really helpful for us to kind of wrap up our time together today is you, you're a detransitioner, or sorry, you're a desister. Whereas um, Ted, for example, is a detransitioner and, and there's others that are, that are both right. Desisters and detransitioners. Can you explain for people what the difference is between those two things? Sure. And, and it's interesting because one of the things that we're saying now is that, um, socially transitioning a child is actually a medical intervention. Yes. Um, and, and that's something people need to understand that a social transition is as much of a medical intervention as, you know, some of the things that, that we do, uh, psychotherapy wise, um, because it's, it, it, it's, it's encouraging a certain mindset. It's encouraging a certain behavior. And so this is something that should not be encouraged by teachers. This is not, you know, because they're not doctors. This is, but this is a psychiatric intervention, a medical, uh, uh, social transition. And so, so churches that think they're doing such great work by accommodating and they have maybe the right motivation in not wanting the person to turn away or what have you, but we need to figure out a different way as the body of Christ to love that person for who he or she is made in the image of God without any variation of that, but love them in a way that really draws them in regardless of uh, the fact that we can't agree 
with, um, with, with this social transition, because like you said, it ultimately points to and leads to this deeper me- medicalization of that person. Right. And, and they've done study after study that shows that uh, socially transitioning leads to puberty blockers, mm-hmm. cross-sex hormones and surgery. So it's, it's putting them on a pathway that's very yes. dangerous. Um, and so the difference between a desister and a detransitioner is a desister hasn't gotten on puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones or surgery. So they haven't gone that far. Um, thankfully, those weren't available when I was a child. Right. Um, but there's a, there's a fair number of, of especially uh, girls who, who start the social transition and they're, they're totally accepted and encouraged in their schools, oftentimes in their churches mm-hmm. and oftentimes by their families. And, and, you know, they're, they're definitely sort of like this continuum as, as, you know, we talk about different spectrums, you know, there's, there's, there's different points on the spectrum. Some, some kids have, you know, they socially transition and then they maybe take very low dosages of cross-sex hormone. Some of them go all the way. Some of them just get on puberty blockers. So there's all different ways mm-hmm. in which people are pursuing their transgender identity, but all of them are harmful. So I really encourage people not to accept, um, you know, as you said, to be loving and kind, but even, even using the, pr- the wrong pronouns is, is in some ways urging a somebody along the wrong path. We know Jesus does not want us to do that in the same way we wouldn't encourage someone to engage in pornography or drug use or same-sex attraction. You know, there are these things that we recognize are harmful behaviors. And so the churches say, yes, you're welcome, but we want you to change. We want you to change. And that's something that I think so many churches are, they're saying, we welcome you and they're forgetting the important other part. I'm so thankful that I had people around me to help mentor me because there were a lot of areas I needed to change. Mm-hmm. I had lived in sin for a very long time. Yeah. And after, you know, I sort of thought after the first year I was a Christian, I sort of thought, okay, I got it all like figured out now. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. and then somebody would point something out or God would put something on my mind. I was like, oh, oh, right. So we need that community mm-hmm. of believers to help, um, to help draw us closer to God and to help us to put, to, to reject the sin. Mm -hmm. But we, we definitely want people, you know, one of the, the passages that I just really read over and over again was about Matthew. He said, Jesus said, you know, doctors are not for the well, we're here for the sick. Yes. And that's, that's these, these are, we have a whole generation of, of sick that need us and they need doctors and nurses, as you said. That, that doesn't mean bringing them in and, and just, you know, keeping them right there. Affirming, right? right? We can it accept the person, affirming. no matter right. how broken, we can exactly. walk with them as an image right. bearer of God, um, yep. no matter how broken, no matter how far they've gone down that road yeah. toward transition mm-hmm. fully, whatever, the Lord can yeah. still restore their soul uh, to, to reflect his image in them as a man or as a woman. And, um, and, and we can accept the person even while walking alongside of them. And really what I think what our po- the posture of the church should be is come and join us as we yes. also are journeying toward Jesus. As right. we are journeying toward sanctification, yes. come and join us in that process because we haven't yeah. arrived either. We're, we're yeah. m- maybe many steps down the road in some particular areas, but, but we're, we're struggling in others, you know, but yeah. join us in this process as we mm-hmm. all move toward Jesus and toward greater sanctification. Exactly. And that's where the church body can really support people in all different ways. And I think that that's one of the sadnesses that I have is that we see a lot of churches now who are just saying, come on in. And as you said, it's sort of like a TED talk or psychology yep. today light, 
rather than really teaching biblical truth. And I'm so thankful for the church that I go to mm. where every day that I go to a service, I come out of there really um, reflecting on, oh, yes. okay, this is an area that I need to work on. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for that. I need that yeah. refining. Yeah. We all do. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that, that um, you know, anybody who's been really deep in sin, they need to know, you know, transgender, same-sex attraction, drugs, prostitution, pornography, whatever it is, come on. We are all there. We've all sinned. Every yes. single person in the church has sinned. You're no different than us, really. We just have different types of sin. And maybe we, we've, you know, been more convicted that it's okay to sin. Because I definitely had no sense of sin right. before I became a Christian. I just, I, you know, it just wasn't even in my vocabulary. If somebody mm -hmm. had said I was sinning, I'd be like, well, that's your opinion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. I had no sense of truth or sin or what was right or wrong. So, um but I do think that just being welcoming and, mm -hmm. and like you said, that gift of hospitality um, is not to be minimized in any way. Yeah. Well, Aaron, you're doing amazing work in, in the space that you're in as uh, really an advocate uh, and one speaking truth into, into dark places and willing to, as you said, I mean, you've had death threats, you've had lots and lots of different forms of rejection. And, uh, and, and sadly, what, what I find to be most tragic is, that's not always just coming from the world. Sometimes some of the some of the saddest and most painful rejection comes from uh, those within the church, even. So, mm -hmm. uh, but having said all of that, I would love for people who are watching or listening uh, to our discussion together to know, you know, how can they? You've written some books. How can they get a hold of your books, your materials? Do you have a website? Mm -hmm. How how um, what what are you? What do you feel like the Lord is? calling you or leading you into in terms of being in this space ministry wise or whatever and how can people get in touch with you yeah um we have a website uh there's a number of us who formed an organization called advocates protecting children so if you go mm. to advocatesprotectingchildren.org uh you can get on the website we have lots of resources as you mentioned a number of books there's a children's book i wrote called always Aaron about mm. my childhood experience and i remember when i first suggested i was going to write a childhood children's book about my childhood experience people were like what like that's a that's a difficult topic how could you write a children's mm. book and i said you know, Jazz Jennings wrote a book about being born in the wrong body. I, I think kids yes. need some truth. Yes. And so I worked with some um, some Christian therapists. Um, Andre Von Mole mm. reviewed it. I believe he was one of your guests at one yes. point. Super amazing, amazing guy. Man. Yep. Um, and 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 sort of said, yeah, this is this is appropriate for kids. Mm -hmm. um, we have some parenting books. So one of them is a book by my um, co-founder. Maria Keffler called Desist, Detox, Detrans. And then I have a book called Parenting in the Transgender World that is for parents who sort of want to figure out how to circumvent this before their kids get co-opted into it. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we're in the process of having some of our books translated into Spanish, so that's exciting. Yes. We also have a curriculum for churches, so for faith communities that want to t address this head-on. And I encourage people who are in churches to address this head-on. I think mm -hmm. oftentimes we just hope, hopefully we won't have to talk about it. Hopefully, you know, uh, that kid isn't going to walk in or that adult isn't going to mm. walk in our church and we're going to have to deal with it. I think a lot of times people are just hoping that they don't have right. to deal with it. But we developed a curriculum and it's very simple, but it's just to help equip kids so that they know what's going on out there in the world. Um, in the same way that we want kids to know that there's potential, there's potentially people out there that might harm them in other ways. They need to know this ideology is out there. So, yes. so that's available. Um, if you go to our website, we have a, a um, resources that you can go to. Um, 
And right now, really, we're doing outreach and education. We're really trying to convince pastors to take this on, to yeah. recognize that they need to, they need to start stepping up. And I've seen, there's been some amazing pastors. There's a church called Trace Church in Colorado. And I think his name is Aaron Pendleton, who's done a phenomenal mm. series of videos about various sexual sins, um, including transgender ideology. He's done it in a phenomenal way. I'm seeing um, Brody, uh, Brody Vacom, I think his sure. name is, mm-hmm. has, has addressed this. There, you know, Pastors, I think, are starting to take it on, but we're also seeing pastors who are kind of capitulating and yes. saying, oh, well, we're just, you know, we're going to, we're going to just love these people. And I just want to counter and say, loving does not mean lying. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to, if you're going to accept somebody, basically you've got a choice between um, honoring God or honoring this individual's Mm -hmm. identity. Are you really going to choose the individual over God? Mm -hmm. And how does that impact that individual? If they see you um, choosing them over God. And I think we always need to choose God. But we also have to recognize that lying to someone and affirming something that's harmful isn't loving in any shape no, or form. No, And that's where the church has gotten off re- off tracks, I think, and we need to get back on. So so that kind of outreach, which is what you do too, mm-hmm. I think, yes. is, is really important, that kind of outreach and education. Yeah. Well, Aaron, it's so great that um, for you to have taken the time again to be with us. Uh, it, I would just want to give you a, a quick minute, any last minute uh, thoughts or prompting uh, for anything you'd like to say to uh, a listener, a potential group of listeners, or anything that kind of occurs to you to just kind of wrap up our program before we just um, sign off here? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think probably just my overarching message is that God can and does work miracles. Yes. Um, I think that it's easy to get discouraged. I see people who, who look at our world and there's a lot of, there's a lot of sadness and pain in our world. There's a lot of, but our world is good. God mm-hmm. said it's a good world and we need to remember that there is, this is a good world we live in. And when we follow God, he can work miracles through us. And I, I believe that we're at a point where people need to just recognize that that there's a power there that we can tap into, that we can surrender to, that can just transform things. And so, as you said, um, a lot, I, I hear people who say, you know, we're in the end times. This is the worst it's ever been. Um, we probably just need to hunker down and wait for Jesus mm-hmm. to come. And I'm thinking, if Jesus is coming and you're hunkered down in your yeah, basement right. or you're isolating and you're, you know, just sitting there waiting for him, I don't think he's going to be super happy. No. I think if these are the end times, even more so, we need to be out there doing outreach and 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 really just showing people that the good news, reach, yes. you know, spreading the good news to people. Yes. There's so many desperate hearts out there that need to hear it. Yeah. And and I I think a lot of people are shy, but I am so I I just, I guess the the ending thing I want to say with is how overwhelming gratitude I have mm. for the women who shared who shared with me God's love, yeah, and how they could have just backed off, mm-hmm. but they chose to lean into me, and I am so grateful for yes. that. So don't be shy about sharing 
good news with people. Yes. And, li- and living it out and loving well in that way. And, and loving again, our ministry name is love and truth network. You can't, you can't take love out of truth or truth out of love and have either one of those you, uh, or have them both. You lose one or the other by doing that. So anyway, Aaron, we are so grateful that you are here. And for those that are tuning in, uh, who are more connected with love and truth network, or for those tuning in who may have uh, heard about us through transforming congregations, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, grateful that, um, Hopefully you've been following us for a while. If you're brand new, we would love to invite you back to another episode of the Love and Truth Network podcast. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode. 